national graduation ceremony from the National Weather Service in Whiteland. I'm Linnea, and I like death by DDD. It's a statement. Which has attracted tens of thousands of people. So this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! This is Death by DVD, and you are listening to Harry Scott Sullivan, your host. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the leaves of summer are turning red and gold, and the football games, they're bringing a hint of cold, and it's time to get away. We'll pack the car with escape in mind, forgetting our classes, leaving the books behind. It's time to get away. There's an empty cottage sitting on the shore. The tourists all left about a month before, and we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, we're gonna have a good time. We're going on a fall break, walking hand in hand in the moonlight. We'll breathe the sweet salt air, I swear, we'll never fall. Going on a fall break. That's right, we're doing Buddy Cooper's 1984 slasher. The Mutilator. Well, I should actually say Buddy Cooper and John Douglas's The Mutilator, which I will call Fall Break for this entire episode, and I'm sure at some point I'll explain why I prefer calling it Fall Break over The Mutilator. And like I said, this is a slasher movie, an American slasher movie, and you may or may not know this. If you have been listening to Death by DVD for the past 14 years or so, I'm sure you've heard me say it. I am not the biggest fan of slasher movies which I'm sure is a massive faux pas, as this is mostly a horror show. I feel like saying you don't like slasher movies is something most horror fans and horror hosts would avoid saying, but lo and behold, I said it, and I've said it a few times before. And that is how we shall begin this episode, because I am going to tell you why. And don't worry, it'll all lead into fall break. So let's just skip the history lesson here. We all know what a slasher movie is. There's many stories to their origins that there's influence from the Italian giallo movies. And of course, you've got Carpenter's Halloween, and then there are proto-slashers, and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and things like that. We all know those stories. I think we do, at least. Who am I to presume? So I'm going to skip it. We're, we're familiar with what a slasher movie is, and the archetype of slashers, the most typical of slashers, I guess, I don't care for the genre that much. I feel, and this isn't inherent to every slasher movie, but for the most part, it's violence for the sake of violence, it's senseless, there's there's really not a point aside from gathering a cast member of people who don't matter whatsoever to kill. You have very soulless characters, you have characters for the most part that are just introduced to be killed, and not really any effective violence or any effective gore, nothing fun. I don't want to pick any certain series to lash out on, but the Halloween series, it's boring. No matter how many times it restarts and changes, the only time it wasn't boring is when David Gordon Green made his trilogy, and I don't care what you have to say about it. Write me an email. Write me some hate mail. They're the best in the entire series next to John Carpenter's Halloween. Why? Because they did something and offered something 
other than mindless characters that have no point and are only introduced for the sake of killing, story that actually went somewhere whether you liked it or not. It doesn't matter if you liked it, the story still had a beginning, middle, and an ending, and that's more than can be said for the majority aside from one. Sure, part three, it's a classic. I love Halloween 3, but it's neither here nor fucking there, and it has nothing to do with the rest of the series, nor is it a slasher film. And I'm, I'm not going to, like, name names. I don't have a list. Well, this movie, this movie, this movie, and that movie. It's just years and years and years of watching from bottom of the barrel to the most well-known slasher films. It's just my opinion on the matter. And like I said, this, this isn't inherent to every slasher film. It's not inclusive to every slasher film. Or is it exclusive to every slasher film? It's just my prerogative on it. And I don't want to come off... Uh, talking about, you know, I don't like violence for the sake of violence. I don't at all. But it's not for the, the typical reasons. Chaz Ballin of Deep Red Magazine, you know, the, the Deep Red, wrote extensively about his dislike for violence for the sake of violence. And he had a lot of politics in that. And I don't mean fucking left or right. I just mean his reasoning behind his belief was more of, it's it's not an art if you're just killing people for the sake of killing people. And I can get behind that, and that's, that's more or less where my thoughts come from. I do think there are a lot of, not alternatives, but there are a lot of senseless, violent movies that do provoke something, and you can't argue whether they are art or not, even if it's violence for the sake of violence. And again, this isn't the sort of, platform that I'm taking on this episode and we're going to get deep into something like that. I find no entertainment out of it. I, I just find it boring when you have the opportunity to make a motion picture, to make a piece of art, to just, here's character A, B, C, D, E, and they just die and whatever. I at least want to get to know who these people are. I want to feel something when something happens to these characters. And I don't think that's asking for too much. And I think that's more of the antithesis on watching a horror film and being shocked and being appalled and feeling fear is when you get to know the characters, when you can relate to the characters, and when especially you can feel bad if they get their fucking heads cut off. <laughs> and that's kind of important. It's cool, sure, you're allowed to be like, oh yeah, check that out. You're, you're allowed to relish in the gore. <laughs> that's completely fine, but I just don't, me, we're talking personally here, this isn't like, I'm on a stepping stool like one of the teachers from Peanuts. Wah, 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 violence. Wah, wah, wah. I don't give a fuck what you like. I don't care what you, what you enjoy watching. Me, on the other hand, my thought on the matter is it's just boring. And I think that's the biggest sin any movie can commit is being boring. And I, I would say from around 1985 to 1990, the slasher genre experienced multiple deaths. But for the most part... What killed the slasher genre itself was uh, just violent for the sake of violent movies that were senseless and had no point, no plot, no story. And not every piece of art needs to be provocative and make you wake up at two in the morning and go, oh, oh my God. You know, not, <laughs> not everything has to be some brilliant Kubrickian 2001 A Space Odyssey fucking picture show that really gets deep into your mind or something like that. It, it can just be fun. But it can be fun and actually fucking have a point and be well written. And I just don't understand. Uh, and I, well, it's not a, a I don't understand thing because commercialization has always been the key to horror. Horror has always been a commercialized prospect. It's always been used to 
push or make money, and it was exploited deeply. The slasher genre and the the late eighties to early nineties, and you know, you the end result of this commercialization is stuff like Scream, which I I don't care for. I have I would say a bit of a disdain for. I don't hate Scream. Uh, I've only seen the first one, in fact, because I just have no interest in watching any of them at all, yet alone talking about them. And the only reason I would watch them is probably to talk about them on the show. And first things fucking last, we're not doing any Scream movies. But you get to this point where it's just bland and in-your-face poorly written. It's that's, that's just almost slapping you in the face. So it doesn't matter anymore. There's going to be tits. There's going to be violence. There's going to be some decapitations. That's all I need. Well, God damn it, it's not all that I need. So for all of those reasons, I, ha- I've, I just am not a slasher guy. If I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch something. I'm, I'm not going to choose the unseen 1987 German slasher movie, unless somebody like York Bootgreet did it, or it, it's it's a, a name that has made some really cool stuff. It's not a commercialized. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I just I don't give a fuck. I'll sit down and I'll watch Shram with you. That's fine. But I I just uh, God, there there are so many, and I, I I'm trying not to name names, but like God, John Russo throughout the late '80s, just trying to make a buck with the most soulless, incompetent terrible <laughs> movies. You guys ever seen The Majorettes? Man, just go watch the, pause this, go watch The Majorettes and come back and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But I will say Bill Heinzman directed The Majorettes, but it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> Russo still wrote it, still a John Russo thing. Heinzman also did, in and around that time period, a zombie film called Flesh Eaters, which is, uh, I, I hate saying something's bad. It's not really a great movie, but it's 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 a little bit more fun than The Majorettes. But they're just, uh, more often than not, more bad, and I'm just going to say soulless, slasher films that you can stumble upon than there is anything with depth. And the following statement, some people may find ludicrous, but I firmly believe in it. Buddy Cooper, John Douglas's The Mutilator, a.k.a. Fall Break 1984, is uh, an incredibly competent, well-written fun slasher film and fun is such a, a an awful word to use when you're doing a critique i don't i don't think i'm going to do it i don't think that's what this is you know i'm just here to talk about the mutilator i don't have any interest in critiquing this this film at all but alas fun may be one of the best descriptions that we could use for a film like this from the the moment the movie begins to its ending I find every moment about it fun and if you've seen this movie i'm sure you're sitting back in your seat going what the fuck the beginning of this movie, what's fun about the beginning of this movie? Because Fall Break, a.k.a. The Mutilator, begins with matricide. What do you say? Four days of R&R at the beach. I'm in. She's in. I'm in. Sounds good to me. I got a bad feeling about this. They thought their vacation would be fun. They were wrong. Dead wrong. He's what's called a trophy hunter. Boom, 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 boom. Dad used to tell me that he'd hunted everything but man. Hey.
coming to get you. School was hell, but vacation was murder. The Mutilator. It's the father's birthday. We come into this quaint farmhouse, and little Ed is cleaning his dad's guns, and he wrote down on a piece of construction paper, To Daddy, from me, cleaned all your guns, and accidentally shoots his mother into the room while cleaning his father's guns. Nothing about that is fun, but at the same time, it is, because you're allowed to enter this universe with... You don't have a seatbelt on. You don't have any safety. There's nothing protecting you. The b- movie begins... Spoilers. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, I'm just expecting... If you're listening to a, a thing about Thaw Break, probably having seen it before, but that's the first scene of the movie, sorry. No one is safe. A child just accidentally killed their mother, and then it further goes into to depravity and insanity as, as the father. I, I feel, I've always wondered about it, I think he wants to kill his kid, is really bummed out, because he, fi- he walks in and sees this awful fucking thing ha- has happened, his wife's dead on the floor, goes to choke the kid out, and he runs away. And then he sits down, he gets a nice bottle of Jack Daniels, pours himself a couple fingers, pours his wife some too, and pours it down her dead throat. And it's just insane. You know, maybe maybe a little Jack Daniels will bring her back to life. That's the beginning of this movie. And then you immediately transition into the current day, which is 1984, and you get hit right in the face with the theme song for this movie, Fall Break, going on a, a fall break, fall break. And that itself kind of sells it for me. I love, we're, we're so far past this era. The James Bond movies still do it, but we were all better off when horror movies got their own song for the movie. And sometimes you would really luck out and you'd get a rap. Uh, late 80s, early 90s, you'd get a really bad white guy rap that went along with the movie, and I cherish those things. I truly, truly love them, and Fall Break, the namesake of the movie, has its own amazing theme song. When the leaves of summer turn red and gold and the football games bring a hint of the cold time to get away. We'll pack the car with escape in mind Forgetting about classes, leaving books behind Time to get away Empty cottage sitting on the shore Taurus all left about a month before And we're gonna have a good time Gonna have a good time Yeah, we're gonna have a good time We're going on a ball break Coincidentally called Fall Break And that's why... (laughs) I insist on calling uh, this film Fall Break. It, it, the, the Mutilator is kind of a trashy title. If it was just called Mutilator, I'd think that there was something intriguing about that Mutilator. And that also sounds like a, a Chuck Schulander death, you know, kind of thing. Maybe Necrophagia too. Mutilator. Or Slayer before they became grumpy old men and still had a little bit of edge. But The Mutilator, it just sounds too professional. It sounds too blank for me. The mutilator it (laughs) it's giving way too much directness to this there's a mutilator that doesn't work either it's just got to be mutilator but the film was called fall break and from my understanding it had uh, been released and cut and was a rated x rating buddy cooper did not the director of the film we'll talk a little about him in a little while did not want to cut his film you don't want to cut your baby you've worked really hard on it and you are proud of the things you had and the movie had a, a very small, minimal opening. I think, actually, it, uh, Newport News, Virginia, and um, maybe 
a place in North Carolina. I think it was in Virginia. And it just wasn't getting any attention, so Buddy went ahead and cut some stuff out of the film, shaped it up a little bit, and then it got, I would say, uh, an okay release. Now, a lot of people would say a movie like The Mutilator is lost, and I just think that's ridiculous because Arrow put out, what, 2017, maybe 2018, I think it's 17, a tremendous Blu-ray that is, is widely accessible at this point. They found in the Library of Congress, the original 35mm print cleaned it up, Fantastic. Uh, you can see it on their streaming network. The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl recently did Mutilator. I don't think it's a lost movie, but underappreciated, certainly. You could you could get away with calling it that. I, I feel in the last, I don't know, eight years or so that this has had a nice resurgence. Maybe you could call it a revival. There is a sequel that was finished filming in 2022. Not sure when we're going to get a release for that, but it's safe to say Fall Break a.k.a. The Mutilator, is not a lost movie. But is it appreciated? That is a complete other question. So as we began this entire episode, I, I discussed some of the problems that I have with the general slasher film. And, you know, I think I'm a pretty amicable guy. I, I like all sorts of genres. I'm willing to watch anything that you throw at me. And it's very difficult. I, I just don't think I'm able to say what my favorite movies are. It's an ever-changing list. But always on that list will be The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which many people consider to be a proto-slasher or one of the original American slasher films. I digress. I don't completely disagree because I think there is some truth to the sentiment that people have with that statement. But upon deep evaluation, when you look at isolated Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre with none of the other sequels, if you pretend they don't exist, I find it... I don't know. It's it's just a hard bite to call it a slasher film. Another, I I don't know. It's I, I hate the term favorite, but another film I have a great deal of admiration and respect for is Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, and that movie also is is usually lauded and referred to as a pre-slasher, proto-slasher, whatever the fuck. All these made-up terms people just pull out of their ass to stick in their articles these days are, and again. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. I think there same same statement. There is some truth. Uh, I and you can stretch it and you can pull that truth as far as you want to. But eh, I just don't take it as a slasher. I take it as a fucking Ingmar Bergman movie, <laughs> which it is. It's just a remake. But <laughs> I don't think it's it's either here nor there, and that really matters. And um. You know, I, I just don't want it to, with that first statement made, I don't want the, the rest of this to sound like I don't have an appreciation for slasher films. And I don't want to, like, rattle off a list of blah, 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 because it takes away from fall break. And from that very first shocking moment when we are entered into the universe of this movie, you're just aghast. What else could possibly notch it up from there? I mean, you, you just, it, it's not an average beginning to a film and it's it's so ah god what's the word i want to use it's it's just gross the 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 behavior of the father and and it just shockingly cuts to a very normal 80s audience kind of thing and then we move into the whole point of the movie that ed junior is all grown up and he's hanging out with his pals it's fall and his dad calls him to let him know that he needs to go shut down their condo on the beach in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. That's where the movie was filmed. And you could almost say 
This is a regional film, almost, and I'll try and remember that thought and talk about it in a little while. And that's where the movie leads into. Right after this scene, we get the amazing theme song. When the leaves of summer turn red and gold And the football games bring a hint of the cold Time, time to get away And we head out on a fall break. Everything is set up, and in the first five to ten minutes, we get uh, we don't need a backstory on everybody. We have Ed Jr., played by Matt Mittler. We know what happened to him. And why do we know this? Because Pam, played by Ruth Martinez, says in the first five minutes of the movie, he accidentally killed his mom. He shot her when he was a kid, and all of his friends know about it. So Ed Jr. is established right off the bat. What about everybody else? It just falls, it, it, there are archetypes of characters that are presented to us with enough realism and reality that even if the acting is a little unpolished, and this is an independent and, like I said, almost regional horror film from the 1980s, it's not going to be the smoothest performances. Each of these characters develops, or you rather, end up developing a humanity with each of these characters within the first five to ten minutes. You see who they are. Bill Hitchcock plays a character named Ralph, who's probably my favorite character in the entire movie because, let's face it, he's me, I'm him. <laughs> he's a big goofball, sarcastic southern fella, and he's he's great. Everybody is realistic. It's not just a teenage group of friends. It's not just football players and cheerleaders. And, uh, you know, I, I, I crapped on Halloween the whole series a little while ago, but uh, you look at the first... Nightmare on Elm Street, I I feel there is a true depiction, especially of the time, of the characters in that movie. They're, they're all believable. Johnny Depp's believable. Nancy's believable. I don't remember Johnny Depp's character's name. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. But, you know, you can get behind it. John Saxon really is the selling point for that picture, because what couldn't John Saxon do? He was good at everything. <laughs> he was just amazing. Big Saxon fan. And I'll defend the second one. Second movie I think I like even more, maybe more than all the others in the entire series, but after that there's just, we, we go into such crazy bullshit territories with psychic kids, dream warriors, and all this stuff, and, and you suddenly lose that touch. And, and again, I had said specifically around the late 80s to the early 90s is in my opinion when the slasher genre really started to die and we really just started getting violence for the sake of violence. Previously, especially with the eras and, and what was popular in the eras, you had pretty believable characters. I think even Terror Train, which is a, a, a big budget horror film, never really been a fan of studio horror movies, still, you get enough in just the first few minutes of, of these characters being introduced to get a sense of who they are, find a bit of yourself in them. And really, Fall Break, for me, kind of takes the cake with that because it's, it's very simple. Uh, you, you get some jokes before you really move into the, the violent aspects of the film. And boy, let me tell you, it's a bloodbath. But uh, Bill Hitchcock, I was just talking about Ralph as they're going down the road. They stop at a store and there's this whole funny thing with buying beer and you learn that he's a law student. You immediately get this back and forth between Ed Jr. and the character Pam. That he really wants to get it on, but she kind of wants to wait. And there is a dynamic and they all, as actors complement each other really well, which in the case of this movie, everyone got to be pretty comfortable with each other, that Buddy Cooper's father was a big shot, big guy, a very important person in Atlantic City, North Carolina, and he owned a hotel. 
And that's where the, the movie was filmed. It's where the offices for the production of the movie were, were held at. The staff, the crew, everybody was staying at this hotel owned by Buddy Cooper's father. So they, they really had no option but to get close with one another. And apparently it was just a tremendously fun shoot, despite, in Buddy Cooper's words, everything that could go wrong going wrong, they still had a wonderful time doing it to the extent that after Labor Day weekend, they had kind of ceased filming for a couple days. Tons of tourists were in town staying, big beach time. They tried to rebook rooms at his father's hotel and were told no because they had constant prank wars going on and apparently one hell of a food fight that was enough to upset the entire staff of the building. So on screen, it seems like these people have been friends for years and it works greatly to the benefit of the film. It's like uh, in James Cameron and Aliens, he had all everyone do British special service training. So all the Marines in the movie, except Michael Bean, had gone through hell with each other. And despite some of them not being on screen for more than a few seconds, it's tight. There is a true reality to what you're experiencing on that film. And that's what helps in the case with Fall Break of the actors not being the most polished it's not the greatest performance you're ever going to see, but there is in-depth realism, and you fall in love with these characters. They're funny, they're charming, they're goofy at times, and then immediately they all start fucking dying. And it's not your average horror movie deaths. This movie has a cavalcade of different kills. Somebody gets killed with a boat motor, somebody gets decapitated, somebody gets impaled with a gig, another person gets gutted, somebody gets stabbed in the neck with a pitchfork, drowned, the whole nine yards. And... God, I guess I'm going to have to hit on Halloween a few more times. But for the most part of the entire series, you've got this guy in a mask killing people with a knife. And sometimes, very rarely, he uses something else until we get to the David Gordon Green series. And that's something I really liked about Halloween Kills was we go back to this terrifying monster of what Michael Myers was, we were told, by Loomis is to be in the first movie. And now he's stomping people to death and all oh, just banging heads against walls. It's it's blunt force violence. It's just monstrous. And you immediately in the mutilator know who the killer is. There's no secrets. There's no man behind the mask. There's no ghost face or prank phone calls. You know who the killer is and you know because of the first scene of the movie what his motivation is. We find out that Big Ed, played by Jack Chatham, was pretty nasty guy in general. He ran over one of his friends with a ski boat and decided to take pictures of it instead of going to the hospital. He's a big game hunter, doesn't eat anything. He just loves to kill and mutilate animals and hang them up on the wall, which I think is, is telling absolutely of, of a sociopath. It's truly sociopathic behavior to kill and mutilate a creature just to stare at its dead body on your wall. Not the nicest guy, and he's in the house. He's tired of Ed Jr. in that first scene of the movie when, when he comes home and he sees his son, he tries to strangle him. You know, he, he I don't think he entirely wants his son to be alive. And after years of substance abuse and partying and drinking and repressing all of this anger, he finally fucking snaps. And that's the movie. That's that. It's super simple. 
And and in that simplicity, I think, is where you end up finding the the wonderful writing because you don't have to really go far when you have a beginning, middle, and an end, and that concept kind of fleshes itself out. Just have realistic characters. There's no need for some over-the-top horror movie-obsessed killer. What's your favorite scary movie? It doesn't fucking matter. It's just somebody who is really crazy and has a, a, an array of weird random shit in his house. And that works for me so much because it's bombastic. You're not stuck with the same slow encroaching guy that's just kind of, wa- and that's just an archetype. You know, not, I'm not just digging on Halloween here, but how many slasher movies is that? You've even got the that whole Leslie Vernon slasher mockumentary sort of thing where they make fun of how he walks, you know, the whole point of him walking slow and all the cardio that he does so he can keep up with victims and things like that. It's just such a boring trope and this is the era when that was just being slapped on everything all the killers were the same all the motivation was the same and if it wasn't it was some sort of dumb supernatural aspect and that lacks in this movie you don't have anything like that you've just got i hate to say realistic but a somewhat realistic idea here you know i i sit and i love these murder mystery shows like the first 48 and things like that paula zahn's show people investigate fear thy neighbor who did i marry that sort of thing about an hour long where you watch this dramatization of i love fear thy neighbor that's a great one. You'll have two neighbors that started off as friends, and you watch this show that you obviously know is going to end with somebody shooting somebody. So much of Fall Break, a.k.a. The Mutilator, really is, 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 is real. This guy lived through his son accidentally killing his mother and decided for the next 20 years or so that he was just going to drink as heavily as possible till one day he finally snapped seething in all of this anger that he's repressed and kept in his mind this hatred and this anger that his son has gone on and is going out in school and moving on in the world and he isn't broken over it he's not demented over it so he takes revenge he decide and that's that there's that's none of this is on screen this is just what is is point a to point b we got that first scene so we could acknowledge and understand all of this as it goes throughout the rest of the film and it's it's i don't know might be trivial to some but i think it's terrific i think anything that has a fucking point <laughs> is terrific i guess and that's not my point, you know, I, I didn't want to do a drag on the slasher genre itself. What I want to do and hope I'm doing is is polishing this film a little bit. And if you haven't seen Fall Break, a.k.a. Mutilator, it's it's I'm, I hope that this would be enticing enough for you to have seen it. But if you have seen it, if you haven't watched it recently, if you didn't care for the movie, you got to look at what you're up against. And, and so much of the horror genre itself is bottom of the barrel. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of terrible horror films that were made for the sake of, well, horror's easy. We can get this production done. People make anthology films that have no point, no purpose, because it was easy. It's, oh, we'll get started in making horror movies. And in the 70s, that was, you know, we, we will do porn. Let's shoot some porns, and then we'll make our name, and then we'll make a horror movie, and then we do a couple of those, we'll have enough money for us to make a real film. And now nobody even shoots porn. They just go, I'm going to make a horror movie. And I'll sell that. It doesn't matter. It needs to be cheap, duh, blah, blah, blah. And you have these miles of mountains of soulless, boring schlock. And I'm on one hand willing to say, you know what? Fall break, it's schlocky, 
It's definitely schlonky, but there's a quality that <laughs> I demand, goddammit, and every single thing that I want out of a movie is given to me with this. And, you know, I've had a lot of things to say about movies like Scream and Halloween, but some of the stuff that is talked about in Scream, the rules to a slasher movie, you can't say I'll be right back, the virgin, gotta be a virgin, you've got some of that in this. It's funny, the character that Ruth Martinez plays, Pam, is going up against Ed Jr., Matt Mittler, the entire time. He wants to get laid, she's not ready for it, and God damn it, who lives? She does. But those rules are bullshit just for the fact that Laurie Strode smokes pot in Halloween and she definitely wanted to get it on with that dude, I can't remember his name. Ben? Ben Tramer? I think it's Ben Tramer. <laughs> but that doesn't matter! I apparently don't have the ability to talk about one film. I have to <laughs> talk about seven other movie series <laughs> to keep bouncing back and forth to the subject matter. Uh, but, but still, we like to have fun here. I think we're having a good time on a fall break. What the hell was that? Did you all hear that? It sounds like something coming from the basement. You know, I think I forgot to mention at the start of all this that we are recording this episode at I. Alexander Nash's father's beach house. And when I got here, everyone was missing. I guess I should have said that at the fucking beginning of the show, right? Oh, well. Oh, well. The whole crew was supposed to be here. Everybody. But when I showed up, the door was unlocked. So I just came the fuck in, you know? Oh, uh, that's, that's definitely coming from the basement. Uh, I, I guess we should go see what it is. I say we, but... I guess I have to go see what it is. Go all the fucking way downstairs. Trying to fucking talk about fall break, man. The fuck is going on? Well, that's just weird. The light is on. I've never been down here before. I didn't turn the fucking lights on. Oh, Jesus Christ, there's a closet at the bottom of the stairs and it's fucking covered in blood. All right, look, I'm I'm going to open it and then abruptly when I open it, I'm going to yell, ah! at whatever the fuck is inside. And I'm it if it it's got to scare it away. It's it's that's that's what they teach you at camp. You just go ah at a bear and you 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 act bigger than it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not sure of this plan, but we're going to do it on 3. 1 2 3. Ah! Oh. It's Nash. 
Oh, fuck. You're covered in blood. Did you... Did you kill everyone? Why are you... Why are you covered in blood? <laughs> is that a... Yes, I killed everyone, ha ha ha, or is it a no, ha... Fuck it. You know what? I don't... Don't... Don't fucking answer. I don't... Don't... I don't need to know. I don't care. I... Well... You know what, though? While I have you here, do you have anything to say about Fall Break, a.k.a. the Mutilator? Okay, we'll see what I can rattle off here in about 15 minutes. My discovery of the Mutilator um, is kind of a strange one because I had never heard of this movie before to a certain point. I think I originally watched it in 1997, 98. I had never heard of it before. Um, it's because I think I'm like missed reading that particular issue of Fangoria back in the eighties. So I had just no reference to it. No one ever talked about the Mutilator, but, um, I went to this video store in the town I was living in and it's a video store that was attached to a movie theater. So it was part of this, like, you know, movie theater, also video rental store. I go in there and of course look at their horror section and that stood out to me. There was the box of the Mutilator with the, uh, the classic poster by Axe by, um, hook by, by, and I was like, I have, what is this? I've never even heard of this before. And I rented it, took it home, and really didn't pay much attention to it. And I just kind of like, okay, another slasher film. And I don't know if it was an R version uh, or an uncut version. It's probably R. So that probably means it didn't really stand out to me too much. And then later, the internet age, you'd find movies on YouTube, like random places for lost media. The Mueller at that point was pretty much lost media. hadn't really been on a major marketed DVD. Um, it just kind of had died on video and no one was talking about it. And re-watching it, I think what struck me as interesting and why I kind of got obsessed with it was, A, the theme song, of course, who doesn't get obsessed with that theme song, but that much like uh, Final Exam, the killer's like motive is fucking insane in The Mutilator. It's fucking ridiculous. It's... A dad whose son accidentally kills his own mother cleaning guns. And then years later, on like the strength of a bender the guy had, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to kill that dies. 20 years later. <laughs> okay. So sure. I have a question for you, though. Do you feel at the beginning of the movie that he pours the Jack Daniels down his dead wife's throat to possibly see if it would bring her back to life? I've always He's that much of a drunk. Yeah, I've always. Well, I don't know. I just I, I think alcohol is like part is mostly the motive. He's just this huge drunk. But I don't know what has particularly set him off all these years later. It's just like I'm finally gonna get vengeance on that little bastard that killed my wife. And I think what sets this one apart apart from the um from all the other slashers is uh, has a lot to do with the fact that it was made in North Carolina or is it South Carolina it's one of the two North Carolina I'm Atlantic sure. Beach North Carolina North Carolina and um when you get a regional slasher film especially when it didn't have a lot of studio backing or any of that you ended up getting some unhinged crazy shit uh, in that era and Mueller's a perfect example of that because the Mark Shostrom violence, the special effects in it are incredibly, incredibly intense, especially in an uncut version. And the the kill methods are very interesting because you have the uh, the outroid or outroid outboard motor. And we're calling it an outroid now, though. That's an what outroid. it's called. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think I was trying to say Evan Rude, which is <laughs> even a stranger uh, version of just saying outboard motor. But um, like that kill is um, interesting, entertaining. You have the um, the gaff hook straight through the crotch, which yeah, that one is wow. Uh, especially in that time period, would be perceived as incredibly misogynistic. And um, most slasher films are about killing women. And you just want to see sexualized violence, and like that would be like proof for that thesis and it you just never saw it brought up in that conversation of violence in film so i'm assuming just no one really saw mutilator um but that intense violence mixed with the happy-go-lucky attitude of most of the other movie and how much it just kind of like meanders all over the place it's yeah you have uh, the killer will do a random violent killing with a fucking battle axe, another strange weapon added to the arsenal. But they play like that blind man's bluff game for like 10 minutes of screen time. There's so much setup of scenarios where people get killed and the story is almost non-existent. You don't have to talk too much about the previous evil um, that started this. You know, like it's not like some deformed kid at camp whose counselors were having sex. You don't have to go through all this backstory it's just these characters talking about what they want to do with their lives and i don't know it's just kind of mundane in a lot of ways but i think it adds to the overall tension in the film because when you do get those murders they really really pay off in this one and they're they're shocking up until the uh ending when the killer is ultimately killed by getting uh, bisected by a car being pushed into a wall. Like that's pretty crazy. And then stinger at the end where he cuts the cop's leg off just effortlessly with that battle axe, just like a knife through butter and just right below the knee. There you go. I'm done. And now I'm dead. Like it's got like that style of humor to it as well. So I think it's a standout slasher film of the eighties, one that so many people don't talk about, but it, really does have more payoff than a lot of because i mean think about how many people are big fans of some of those slasher films like even even like final exam i like final exam for what it is but nothing happens in it it's a fairly boring ass film and a lot of the other slasher films from the 80s were just really boring um sweet 16 there's a love for that movie and i have no idea why it sucks and this one does have all the things that make you love the slasher genre and it doesn't like it doesn't fuck with it it's not trying to be overly clever it's not trying to be like satirical in a lot of ways which the genre became later. It just is what it is, and it's proud of what it is. I don't have much hope, particularly for Mutilator 2. We'll see. It, it has nothing to do with the people behind it. It has everything to do with the fact that you're making a sequel to a film that is 40 years old at this point, and th those really never work. I can barely think of an instance where that has worked. Dr. Sleep, maybe? <laughs> and that's not even really a sequel. It's kind of a separate story. But like that tendency to bring back sequels. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That one was all that right. works. Yeah, that one works. It's it's just so hard to pull off. And with a slasher film, it's going to be even harder because, like, I was incredibly excited for Return to Sleepaway Camp, and we all know how that turned out. And that your ridiculous... ass stinks. Yeah, that film is. Uh... Have you seen the trailer for Mutilator two? I have not seen the trailer for it yet. It it's 
it's out there. It's pretty goofy, and it seems to be following a simple plot, but The Mutilator is a movie in this movie, so the some of the cast is returning to see the movie at the filming location in Atlantic Beach when a copycat killer strikes. But I believe uh, it's it's a lot like a Town of Dread Sundown. Then, well, I, they're I, going that I, route. I have a hunch just from reading some interviews and listening to Buddy Cooper talk. He always wanted the sequel to revolve around those masks that the dad had up around the house. That they're going to be possessed masks. So I think that's what. Why gonna... add a supernatural <laughs> element know. to the idea at all? I think that's what we're going to end up getting with this sequel. But we do have some of the returning cast from the original movie playing the actors playing themselves. So that's well, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a whirl. Oh. You know, I'm not. I don't want to damn Buddy Cooper because it uh, yeah, does I'm not sound gonna fun. like ultimately just write it off and just be like, no, fuck that. It's just, I'm just skeptical of the gap in sequel, like because it's like the track record of that is not very good, not very good at all. But we'll see. I mean, I'm not gonna be completely negative about the whole thing. But I just I, Mutilator for me has always been one of those kind of special slasher films because. Not a lot of people up until the last 10 years have ever really talked about it or thought about it. It, it was just kind of thrown in the back, and it just it does have all those things that make you love the slasher genre. And so many of those movies from the 80s that people really gravitated towards, I don't think particularly deserve as much love as they get, but people seem to love it. Maybe they just love the uh, the products surrounding them as well maybe that's a good portion of it, just because hot topic has commodified them so much and like mutilator doesn't get that kind of love and it probably has a lot to do with the the title both its titles are like not very approachable fall break is makes it sound like it's going to be a teen sex comedy and the mutilator sounds like it's going to be the goriest thing you've ever seen in your life and it's basically a snuff film so the two different audiences that you could court with those two separate titles alone so I think the Mueller more than anything though the title probably had like saved it and also damned it at the same time to somewhat obscurity. But I am glad it's like it's made a comeback and a lot of people have discovered its quirkiness as a slasher film. Well, okay. That's cool. I like that. Glad you could be here. Um what I'm gonna do is shut the closet door and just walk back upstairs because you're covered in blood and you're doing that weird laughing thing and it's kind of <laughs> creeping me out. I'm just going to finish the show and maybe next week we can try something else. We'll see. Uh, thank you, though. All right, let's get back upstairs. I've neglected to bring up the brutality, though. I talk a lot about violence for the sake of violence and how I find it boring. Fall Break's alternative title, what everybody knows it by, The Mutilator, eh, well, it, it does have some aptness to it because, as I said, somebody gets killed with a boat motor, somebody gets killed with a, I believe they it's a fishing gig, but big old pitchfork right through the throat. The most infamous and famous from this film would be the character Sue, who has a very, very uncomfortable death. That might be the biggest audience shock of all. And and this whole time, it's Ed. It's Big Ed. We get to see him. We understand what's going on as he creepily goes back to the basement and hides the bodies. And then finally, you get this massive crescendo of shock and violence at the end of the movie where Ed Jr. finds out it's been his father doing this the whole time. 
And one tremendous, tremendous ending. It was supposed to take place on a drawbridge and uh, logistically in a small town, despite having a massive amount of support from the town itself, I don't think Buddy Cooper could have pulled it off the way that they had written it to happen. So we get the famous lovely ending that we have now where Big Ed is bisected and still manages to cut a cop's leg off. It's kind of like the end of Club Dread. Instead of you've got the fun police's feet kicking out, still going into the water, you've got Big Ed's torso and he's still got this battle axe. That's one of the strangest weapons in this movie. For the most part, we understand that he's a bit of a an outdoorsman. He's a seaman. He loves the ocean and fishing and uh, big game hunting. And most of the murders and murder weapons in the film are related to deep sea fishing, except for this medieval Dark Ages battle axe that he wields throughout the film. And that gives it uh, even more flair of style. It's not a kitchen knife. It's not a, a club. It's not something familiar to you it's something so brazen and bizarre but it makes sense because he has all sorts of crazy south american and african masks and all this collectible stuff he's 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 like a, a twisted hemingway despite hemingway probably being pretty twisted himself i mean he shot himself in the fucking face so that guy had some problems neither here nor there though rest in peace ernest hemingway um but that's a, a great way to look at the character, that he's a very Hemingway-esque type of guy, and he just, it's, that's the movie. He goes batshit and wants, I don't know if he cares about killing anyone else other than his son, but he wastes all of his friends, and you go on this ride. And I, I feel, I don't know, especially around the, the first or second kill, you really start getting the anticipatory terror that is is so complimentary and makes a horror movie perfect. When you sit up on the edge of your seat, oh my god, who's next? I like this one, I don't want this character to die. You start feeling the sympathy, and you've transcended, you've broken these four walls that are around you, and now you're actually experiencing the movie, and that's the, the most perfect thing an artist can do when they are creating art, is to really involve and bring the audience forward, and it never fails with me. From even singing along with the soundtrack to, I, I quote the movie, I know most of <laughs> Ralph's dialogue, of course, uh, but you... you it's almost communal at that point, despite not knowing anybody. You know, you don't know the actors or the directors, and movies 30, almost 40 years old. You have joined in with the exact purpose that the, the artist made this movie for, which is for people to enjoy. And, um, you know, I, I said earlier, I don't, I don't want to do a critique. I don't want to do film history, this, 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 and this, because you got the Blu-ray, with it has a great documentary on it, uh, The Last Drive-In did this, I'm sure Joe Bob talks about using milk in the pool and all sorts of stuff. I just wanted to, as the leaves begin to change, and the football games bring in a hint of cold, I wanted to get away, I wanted to go on a fall break with everybody in the graveyard at Death by DVD, and just remind people, you're allowed to have fun with what you're watching. You don't have to take everything as seriously as I apparently do. You can enjoy violence for the sake of violence. It doesn't make you a bad person. But if you want to enjoy a well-rounded, and I'm going to use the word wholesome, but I don't mean it entirely as I should, as, as most people would mean the, the definition of the word wholesome, a wholesome product. This movie was made and delivered with passion. Apparently Buddy Cooper 
was either going to buy a vineyard or he was going to make a movie. I kind of, <laughs> I love this movie. I kind of think he probably <laughs> should have gotten the vineyard. But he ended up making a movie. And, and the, the story behind the support he had, I think, is, is really touching. That he grew up in this town. His father was a bit of a hot shot in this town. Everybody knew who Buddy was. And he wanted to make this horror movie. It's a gore film, too. I think there are, uh, I, this, this is a weak comparison, but especially Friday the 13th. Tom Savini's effects, Dawn of the Dead-ish, uh, very brutal. Some of the greatest stuff. I love the head explosion in the, the Joe Spinell film, Maniac. Top notch. This is reminiscent, truly. I mean, the blood is red, Cairo syrup soaked, it's beautiful, and they're, they're, they don't shy away at all from depicting violence, and obviously it's why the movie got an X rating initially. And I would love to, to see that. I don't know what big differences would be from the film we've all known and loved now, but man, I'd like to see a little bit more gore with this film. And you're, you you don't have to have a line drawn in the sand. Well, this gore has to have a purpose. I have to feel bad about the people dying. That's just me. That's how I choose to experience it, and that's what makes things better for me. I don't care about gore reels. It's one reason that I don't really care for the Terrifier movie series. Okay, killer clown, doesn't matter. Just a clown killing people. Why? I can. He's immortal, too. All right. Fuck it. We don't need stories anymore. Just clowns killing people. You can enjoy the clown killing people, but I'm going to go watch Fall Break over and over and over again. <laughs> and I, I watch it once a year. I love to watch this movie. As the lyrics of the song say, when the leaves begin to turn red and gold, you know, it's a right. <laughs> it's enjoyable and it never gets old for me. And sharing that excitement, I think, was more my point here than a critique or dusting off this somewhat lost movie. I keep finding articles that call it somewhat lost. I don't think it was ever lost. People just didn't fucking watch it. <laughs> it just Arrow put it out on a super great Blu-ray. Joe Bob's talking about it. I'm talking about it. It's definitely not lost. And especially if you grew up in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, you guys remember those those gun commercials where it'd be two kids in the dad's office like, hey, check out my dad's gun. They accidentally shoot the other one. <laughs> it's not something to laugh about. <laughs> I'm laughing. But they were so morose. And, and uh, only a country like the United States would need fucking commercials like that to play on cable daytime television when kids were getting out of school. But uh, it, it, it's shocking. And you watch this movie... 20 years before something like that even started to be shown on TV, and that's what the setup is. This is my brother, Omar. Well, there was a hole in his tummy. A bullet hit him. I saw red grass. A gun was in the garage. I didn't mean to shoot daddy's gun. I didn't mean to shoot daddy's gun. And there's some just great chemistry scenes where you can't help but laugh or giggle a little bit at the performances that's going on. But uh, the, the ridiculous nature of this movie, you know, you look at 1983, 1984, that was such a far out idea that the kid is going to accidentally shoot his mother. And then just about 20 years later, you've got the beginning of Fall Break, a.k.a. The Mutilator, playing on cable television all over the United States. And they were just a few seconds long of this kid accidentally shooting the other kid, and then it would go to black. And it wouldn't ever even be about gun laws. It would be about, like, buy a lock for your gun safe. <laughs> 
Keely was my baby sister. She loved pink. We were playing with her dolls. I found a gun in the drawer. It went off. I make Kaylee go away. I hate me. Make sure you keep those weapons locked up. Not, you know... But we won't get into gun laws on this episode. We have an episode for that already. It's called Schoolhouse Glock. Go check that one out. Let's talk about school shootings. And I don't mean picture day. You've heard of Schoolhouse Rock? Well, these days it's more like Schoolhouse Glock. This April marks the 23rd anniversary of the Columbine High School Massacre, the school shooting that rocked the nation. As of April 2022, there have been 22 school shootings this year. 114 school shootings since 2018, 34 of them last year alone. 20 in 2022 and 24 in 2019 and 2018. That's a lot of bullets. When you send your child or children to school, you expect them to safely receive their education without any threat of violence. That's true. You never expect antiquated gun laws allowing lethal weapons to fall into the hands of youths. But they do. <laughs> Frightco has been protecting families since 1936 with affordable death and dismemberment insurance. And now proudly, we can offer families Frightco's new school shooter insurance. <laughs> That's right. With Frightco, you could save 6.66% or more on school shootings. If little Timmy is in trouble and you can't get there on the double, you can rest assured. Mum's the word. Frightco is here and you have nothing to fear. With 6.66% or more savings on school shooting insurance, you can take the whole family to Disney. Well, the ones that survived.
Why change gun laws when you can save 6.66% or more with Frightco? Are guns the problem? No! You just need insurance. Frightco, saving you 6.66% or more on death, dismemberment, and school shootings since 1936. So at some point during this entire thing, I said, Fall Break, a.k.a. The Mutilator, could somewhat be considered a regional film. And if you don't know what regional films are, I'll briefly explain it to you. They're films that were made regionally throughout the United States. That's an asshole way of telling you what they are. Mostly independent productions, very, very cheap, would be uh, Boggy Creek. There's a great example of it. Arkansas regional film. Winter Beast, I believe that's Wisconsin. Mutilator had a production company, OK Productions. It had a budget, wasn't a, a massive, wasn't a big budget. I think it was $86,000, could be wrong, maybe a little bit higher, maybe 87, maybe just 80. And for the most part, a regional film would be an entirely independent production, mostly something that was surfaced on VHS, not very well grabbed by mainstream audiences, cable television, Attack of the Killer Refrigerator. We had Mark Vo and Michael Savino on an episode talking about their regional film, and that one played mostly on college networks, something like that. This movie had a theatrical release, um, home video, not quite sure on it, so I'm just not going to talk too much about it, because, <laughs> hey, don't talk about things you don't know. That's a word of advice to all you out there thinking about starting your own show or have your own show. Don't talk about things you don't know. But it did have a physical release. It, it was tangible, and it might not have been easy to reach, but nonetheless, it did exist, was in video stores, and as I said, Arrow, Arrow Video, the great Arrow Video, we pray at the Church of Arrow here at Death by DVD, they released a wonderful Blu-ray. And uh, I believe I said earlier, there there is a Mutilator 2. It will be seen. I watched the trailer for it. And honestly, the trailer looks like a lot of fun. I am shocked. Terry Kisser's in the movie. Terry fucking Kisser is going to be in Mutilator 2. That's pretty great. Getting to see Bernie. Thought he was dead, but... <laughs> he also has some returning cast. I know Ruth Martinez and Bill Hitchcock will be returning for the film. I was talking about something, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah regional films. So Fall Break, aka The Mutilator, shot entirely at Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. Um, it was it was something exciting for a lot of people that worked at Buddy's Father's Hotel. A lot of people that were in the movie still work at the hotel to this day. And the state of North Carolina, this is why actually the bridge scene didn't get done. They didn't want to support a movie like this, whatever that means. Shame on you, North Carolina. But the town itself truly has accepted it, and uh, it's, it's something of legend and lore and pride and happiness there. And that I get off on stuff like that. I want to go 100% on vacation to Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, just to go to that gas station, just to go and see these places, because you're going to have a good time going on a, a full break. You, you can't help but have almost... 
a jolly sense of wonderment when you begin this movie, even though it starts with such an atrocity. The matricide is is just over the top. But then you can't help but snap your fingers to the song and feel the groove. You you just forget. Oh man, this terrible scene just happened. You're just on the road trip with these guys until it starts going bad. And that is there's a cleverness behind it. And the cleverness, I think, comes from appreciation. I think Buddy wanted to... He knew what he was doing here. He wanted to make a horror movie, and he set out and fulfilled and wanted to make a fulfilling horror movie. It is, it's more than just a drive-in piece, though it is, is an excellent drive-in B-movie. Oh, man, it's great, especially if you see it at, like, a drive-in in North Carolina. I mean, God, how somebody has to do a mutilator drive-in showing at the beach sometime. That would just be amazing. But it's, <laughs> I said it before, it's a wholesome production. And gosh... I think that's about it. I've said I love Fall Break, a.k.a. The Mutilator, about 79 times. And I I think, I think I may have, honest to God, explained why I like it fairly enough. And I don't mean, we'll go back to the beginning before we get to the end. I don't mean to say or to give you the idea that I don't like the Halloween movies. Well, that's not true. I do with that one. I don't like most of them. <laughs> we did an extensively long episode about that, so I can't I can't really <laughs> say that. But I I I <laughs> am hoping that at least maybe my thoughts on slashers and the difficulty with the genre itself might open up a little bit of thought with you. And maybe give you a deeper appreciation for some movies that you may suspect to be very, very schlocky and just downright shitty. The Mutilator, on the other hand, a.k.a. Fall Break, I did it backward. Fall Break, on the other hand, a.k.a. The Mutilator, is just a little slice of fried gold. It's, it's a gem in this massive mine of garbage and coal. There's just... So much, and you, you scrape the bottom of the barrel just hoping to find another good movie, and the mutilator is always around the corner. It is always waiting for you, and it never fails to to be a great... Like, I love showing people this movie, and what do you think about it? And it always is the same thing. You know, first five or ten minutes, I didn't know what the fuck we were watching, but after that, man, that was a fun time. It's, it's uh, even an entry-level sort of slasher movie, though the violence is particularly violent, it could shock and offend some people. This is an excellent movie with your friends that might not be... I mean, how many friends do you have that are into 80s and 70s slasher films in the first place? So, movie night with the normies, I think you might be able to get away with this film, especially, especially because of that damn theme song. When the leaves of summer Turn to red and gold and the football games bring a hint of the cold time to get away. And I think that is going to bring us to the end of this episode of Death by DVD. We'll pack the car with escape in mind. Forgetting out classes, leaving books behind. Time to get away. Autumn is here, and with that, spooky season is on the rise, and Death by DVD has returned from our very own summer break. You think it's a coincidence we did Fall Break as our return episode? Empty cottage sitting on Maybe. the shore. Tore us all left about a month before. And we're going to have a good time. Gonna have a good time. Yeah, we're going to.
So it's time to dig yourself a nice plot in the graveyard and join us, because the horror doesn't stop here at Death by DVD. Have a good time. We're going on up. A ball break, walking hand in hand in the moonlight. Thank you for listening, and if you would like to support Death by DVD in the future of this show, we have a Patreon, www.patreon.com slash deathbydvd, where you can watch episodes of Death by DVD, as well as hear exclusive content, and hear episodes available nowhere else, including guest episodes, and more, all for just $4 a month. Choose death, and join us in the graveyard today. You can also go to our website, www.deathbydvd.com, and click the Patreon page to learn all about it. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Death is back for the final time. And we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna have a good time. Yeah, we're gonna have a good time. We're going on up. A ball break, ball break. Hold hand, hand, something in the moonlight. Ball break, ball break. Ball break. We'll be the sweets all day. I swear. Going on a ball break, ball running break. in the sand, feeling alright. Right. And when, when you, you fall into my arms, I'll break into your heart. That's it. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Until next time, be pleasant. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. Management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Death by DVD is broadcast from on top of the blue crystal sunshine mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.